everyone. I'm a little slap happy. And I'm Ellie. And this is the Queers <laughs> for Fears podcast. Abby has had a day. We've both had days. It's been a long Listen, day. I were teaching all virtually. So I was virtually teaching today and troubleshooting technology issues all day, which is because now that's my job. I'm not teaching them <laughs> any content. I'm literally just teaching them how to work with Google Docs. In addition which- to teaching, you're also an IT professional, yes. but you're so lazy behind your desk. Let's cut your salary. I That's literally, <laughs> I literally ordered um, blue light glasses today because because I've started having trouble sleeping at night because There's of actually, all the screens. One time I went to the optometrist and she was like, do you have a job where you sit in front of a computer all day? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, there's like a little red ring of irritation that we can see like over time in people oh. who sit in front of a computer all day. Oh no. Right? Like it's not, it doesn't in- impact your vision or anything, but it is like, you can see the physical effects on your eyeball. It's like I'm- fucking Mountain Dew for your teeth, except. It's like burning your eyeball. Yeah, but I I loved when you were telling our group chat, you were like, I made the mistake of looking at the comments on a CPS post about closing the schools. And some idiot parent was like, how about I get half their salary because now the teachers are just sitting in front of a computer all day. And Abby was like, no offense, you guys. Abby was like, no offense, you guys, but isn't your job sitting in front of a computer all day? And I was like, hey, my job is sitting in front of a computer all day and nobody's saying I should take what a pay cut. Most do in their job is just sit in front of a computer. <laughs> the people saying this are, oh, now teachers just sitting in front of a computer. What are you doing, Susan, that you're like... <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook at 3 p.m. while you're supposed to be working, complaining about lazy teachers. Hmm? Just wondering. Just wondering. <laughs> J-Dubs. I was, so, I was so mad about that. I was like, well, one, clearly this person is not a parent because if you were a parent dealing with your child in e-learning, you would feel our pain and like <laughs> get it, right? Because the parents that are at home with their first graders trying to figure out Zoom are like, this is fucking ridiculous. The picture of that sad <laughs> kindergartner sitting in front of the computer. It's like, a Snapchat screen grab. And the caption was like, when you're five years old and it's the first day of e-learning and they expect you to know how to send emails and read and use a computer. <laughs> and the kid just looks, the kid just looks like she's run a fucking marathon. Sitting yeah, she's computer. like crying. <laughs> I do not. I feel. I would. I. I mean, that's why there's seesaw for kids because that's the only thing that you can actually like draw on with your mouse. But it's still, yeah, everything is awful. Everything's on fire. Everyone's doing their best. Shout out to our listener Kevin who sent me a Starbucks gift card. Yes, that was real MVP. And uh, you're thinking about yelling at a teacher. Some Starbucks gift cards instead. (laughs) If you're thinking about yelling at a teacher, don't. Go to hell and then send them a Starbucks gift card from hell. Oh my God. I feel like the beach is- Kevin, not a Karen. That's our motto of Normandy. Yeah, be a Kevin, not a Karen 2020. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like the beaches of Normandy had to be better than this. I don't even- (laughs) Dude, that tweet that I sent you. Okay. So I didn't read the top response. I'm sorry. I just have to, people are like, why is she always reading us tweets on this show? The Patreons are probably the maddest. They're like, we're paying these hosts to read us. Tweets. 
Oh yeah, it was this uh it was this post on the um teacher subreddit called I just need to vent posted by user disaster hag and it said I'm a first year teacher I thought my military background would prepare me for the stress of this year but I couldn't have been more wrong that's just the opening line of this reddit post and someone tweeted a screen grab of, of it with it's official teachers are braver than the troops and the top reply is must be tough when you realize you can't kill them and happy like <laughs> I lost my shit she's like I was so spat on my drink when I read this and I was like oh, I didn't even see that <laughs> I, I literally, like, water almost came out of my nose. I, was laughing so <laughs> I also sent Abby, like, a meme that was, as a parent, I now understand the part in Star Wars where Yoda is so tired of Luke asking him questions that he just up and dies. Abby's, like, fanning herself, trying not to spit out her beer as I'm recounting this. Dirt. I sent her the meme, like, two days ago. I know! It was so funny then, and it's so funny! Because <laughs> someone, like, edited it out, parent, and wrote teacher. teacher. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. I see so yo. Okay, anyway. Hello, welcome to our show. Ellie, don't edit any of this out. It was great. Absolutely not. I'm a slab-happy teacher, struggling to get through it all. <laughs> and this is Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> this is just some asshole who has always worked just sat behind a computer all day and always gotten paid just handsomely for it it's gotten paid more than me our entire careers yeah so where's for first podcast if you're thinking of yelling at a teacher first you have to fight me and then you have to send them a starbucks gift card and then you have to go to hell <laughs> is what i'm saying <laughs> don't if if starbucks seems like a reach to you i will also happily accept bottles of wine or like a nice haiku yes right we're a kind email if if money is tight a kind email will do wonders genuinely i am not a teacher but it is kind of a stuff i mean this is gonna make i'm gonna sound like such an asshole i'm not like the world's best customer and i'm not like the world's best service provider but i have on a couple of occasions like when the sprint chat agent or whatever says oh i'm so sorry for the delay i'm always like it's it's fine don't worry about it and a couple of times they've been like it's so nice having just like a nice understanding customer and i'm like who hurt you why is everybody so mean right we are all at our jobs we are all in some way or another customer service like you are supposed to be doing something for somebody else that is your customer and it fucking sucks when they yell at you and it is so rare when they're like thank you yeah. And it's like, why, okay, is, I, why is the bare minimum such a reach? Yeah. And it's like, right. Yes. I, I know I'm doing my job. I don't need like praise and pats on the head and a participation trophy or whatever you're thinking about millennials right now, listening to me say this. I need constant validation. I've said it before. I will say it again. But right. Like I'm getting you green cards. Abby is teaching your children. Like <laughs> The person at the the checkout clerk at the grocery store is like giving you food to put in your body. Just like be fucking nice and just say thank paid you. Practically nothing to Practi- do. It. Yeah, right. And it's just it's just ridiculous how I think I told you about that time I was at the grocery store and this lady was at the hot bar or something and everybody was like in the back and she was having trouble getting someone's attention to get her food and so she just started fucking yelling at these people working in the hot bar, which of course did not exactly you know bring them scurrying out to wait on her hand and foot i could see them in the doorway like talking to each other like yo this lady's yelling who are we gonna send out there what are we gonna do (laughs) draw straws (laughs) and she's just yelling this is before covid so you know yeah yelling was (laughs) no allowed and maskless maskless yelling yelling. (laughs) 
the worst kind. And finally, she because she was saying, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. And I was just walking by and I finally went, what you need is to shut up and like stop yelling at these people and leave them alone. And she turned around to me and she seemed to think that she was going to get me on her side. She was like, I need them to do X, Y, Z. And they're not. And I just cut her off and went, I went, I don't care. These people are at work. These people are just trying to do their jobs. Do you yeah. like it when you yell at, when people yell at you while you are just trying to do your job? And no. she went, well. <laughs> and I was like, she honestly went, so. well. It didn't well. fucking think so, ma'am. I'm going to get some bread. Just privileged things, just I guess. Privileged things. Um, I'll yeah. see you on the peanut butter aisle if you want to continue this conversation. <laughs> aisle nine, biatch. I got the app. To this Mariano's, I know where everything is. <laughs> Do not. I don't even need to is. ask employees for help. You know why? Because I got the app. I go there every percent. other week, and I still don't know where everything is. <laughs> you gotta download the app, man. It's got like a search. It's got like a search function. It'll tell you what aisle it's, and it's great. The reason why I'm we're on this rant about how you should be kind to teachers is that I got my first angry parent email this week, and it was some bullshit. And uh, that's all I want to say. I don't want to go into it. Because I talked to my therapist about it and I moved on. And you wrote an incredibly diplomatic, informative reply that caught Listen, the parent up on all the bullshit that you have to deal with. But in pro, a way, it wasn't like unloading on him. It was, yeah. it was a pro response. Thank you. Pro tip. I wrote a really mean version of that email. <laughs> then I erased all of it because I felt a lot better. Yep. It or at least doing like, the mean version. Then I did the overly nice version and apologetic, like, oh, I'm just a woman trying to make an honest living. I hope that a man will marry me so that I no longer need to be a teacher, like that version. And then I did the diplomatic version. So there's my pro tip to you if you ever need to send uh, a reply to kind of a a a nasty email. On more than one occasion, my old boss would have me write an email. She'd be like, write an email and I'll send it. And I would write the email and I'd send a turn. I'd be like, yeah, sent. And then she would never send it. And I think maybe she was just doing that for me. (laughs) She never intended to send it, but I obviously had a lot of things to say about it. And she didn't have time for me to go over them to her face in her office. She was just like, write an email for me to send to that guy. And be like, yeah, I'm going to write him an email, but not send it to him. You can send it to him. Then she'd be like, I'm not sending this to him. Did you add like snarky emailer to your resume? I, (laughs) it was like very dryly snarky. Just a lot of per my previous email, or as we mentioned on this call, I don't know, being an office worker, you don't get to be very snarky. You kind of got to cloak it in extra levels of office flavored snark. I am trying to be very patient and compassionate and supportive and helpful. And I do that all day. And then I went to grad school class tonight and someone was having technical issues. And I was like, I was just like letting, I was just letting the third person in our group just deal with the other person's computer issues because I was like, I don't, I can't, I don't have enough in me. Like I, I need to like pull time for the week and it's only Monday. Like I, I, I can't like I just I need you to take care of this but anyway at my old job we would have these bullshit meetings on like Monday or Tuesday morning really early in the week really fucking god is testing me putting me in this meeting this early in the week and there's all sorts of like political horseshit that would go on and a couple people who are more aggravating than others and my coworker Eli and I would just get out of that meeting and we'd go you know what we only have so many fucks to give in one week and we can't spend them all on Monday or Tuesday. So everything that just happened in that meeting, yeah. I don't give a fuck about that shit. It's how it goes sometimes. All right. 
Can you read this intro? <laughs> Part one discussed a messy divorce and the beginnings of a difficult custody battle. We left off with the disappearance of two teenagers. We continue to sift through the he said, she said, the evidence, and put together all of the strange pieces of the puzzle on this episode of the Queers for Fears podcast. <laughs> queers for wines podcast <laughs> the queers for winers nope we'll, we'll workshop it the wine anyway. queers drinking wine podcast mm-hmm. i'm drinking beer i, I went up to wisconsin and i got way too much nuclearis bitch yeah so i'm drinking that raspberry tart right now oh can i come over and have like i'll even just take like a third of one like you don't even have to give me a full one (laughs) i've got like a graduated cylinder out being like exactly 10 milliliters of uh of like like, the first 10 milliliters are free (laughs) the rest are gonna cost you (laughs) hi everyone uh surprise there's gonna this is gonna be a three-parter i just found this out today yeah because there's just so many details that are wild that i want and like twists and turns that i just want to make sure we include everything also want to include that most of this that we're including in this podcast is alleged and i don't want to get sued thanks (laughs) don't sue us thank you (laughs) but i'm going off of what a book says so i'm assuming if the book didn't get sued it's kosher so um here's a 10 second recap for you if you forgot like what happened in part one basically woman asks husband for divorce on paper because they're struggling financially husband was like that sounds like a great idea we're really struggling financially that seems like the only way that we'll be able to keep our family business and keep money so that we can live off of it right and so he signs this paperwork. His wife goes, haha, fooled you. And it turns out that was actually real divorce papers. And she gets everything and she gets the kids. So they go to court. And the judge rules that this document was, is null and void now because um, he was not aware of what he was signing off of. And there was ample proof that he was not aware of what he was actually signing. So they null and void that contract, which means they have to start over with a new divorce contract, um, which eventually gets into this custody battle in which during this custody battle, two teenage women, their two teenage daughters seemingly vanish into the night. Literally, I don't think they even had shoes on when they left. And it was April. Yeah, it was very weird. It was like April in Minnesota. There was still snow on the ground. Yeah. 
left no coats no backpacks no shoes nothing just left that is where part one uh left off and i left you in a cliffhanger and uh guess she's gonna, gonna do it again <laughs> she looks so pleased with herself this okay so like i said the samantha and gianna rocky went missing in april of 2013 and the following month in may a billboard went up and it wasn't looking for the kids but it was five moms that were allegedly being mistreated by the system in terms of divorce or custody of children it read uniting against court corruption so there's a lot of so one side of this argument is the family courts are corrupt and don't do what's in the best interest of children which sure might be true the other side of this coin is um this woman sandra grazzini previously sandra rucky didn't tell the whole truth during trial and so you know it's sort of her her quote-unquote fault for um, the happenings. This is also interesting because there is this whole capital D, capital H disc horse surrounding family court. It's like a, it's a really common men's rights activist talking point that family courts always award custody to the women and yada yada. And the family courts are corrupt, but they're biased in favor of of women is the usual argument. And there are entire like law firms and advocacy organizations. And there's a billboard I there used to be a billboard coming in I want to say from the south side of Chicago that was like this entire dad's rights law firm or something yeah and it's interesting because once again MRAs blame this on like this imaginary matriarchy and it's like we don't all want to be full-time caregivers just because I am a cis woman doesn't mean that I'm inherently like nurturing or necessarily like in the best position to raise a child if I were to have a child with my partner and I were to split. This is not something that women got together and did. This is a patriarchal norm saying that women are natural caregivers that is disadvantaging everybody in this equation. Like, I don't know enough about the numbers of, I mean, it's a pretty common old saw that women are more likely to get more custody in family court. I don't know what the numbers are like to back that up, but it's it sucks that MRAs are like, well, this is obviously the matriarch. And it's like, no, this is assuming that women are inherently nurturing and assuming that fathers can't nurture. Or it's, it's a lot like men who refer to watching their own kids as like babysitting when their wife is unavailable, right? It mm-hmm. is a whole patriarchal norm that women are the ones that are raising the kids and the guys are just kind of like there to like provide money and back up childcare. And it ends up disadvantaging everybody when a court system assumes that women should always get custody. One of the women on this billboard, remember I said there were five mothers pictured on the billboard. So one of these women on the billboard was named uh, Deirdre Evavold. She also goes by D.B. Evavold. Why does that ring a bell? You're going to tell me why it rings a bell, I bet. What's D.B.'s deal? She inserted herself into the case and she... Later, investigators claimed that she had something to do with the disappearance of the Rocky children. Spoiler alert. Hmm. She and Sandra become best friends because they're convinced that this court system is unfair to them. They're both women that have reported allegations of abuse about their spouse and nothing has seen has seemingly come of their reports. And so they become very close. So the court of course, asks Sandra several times where her children are. Like I said, this book, The Girls Are Gone, has actual court documents, which like for me as a non-lawyer, I 
eventually had to just start skimming because I was just like, okay, 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 I get it. Like, (laughs) yeah, these books can get a little bit crunchy with that stuff. A little heavy with primary source documents or whatever the hell. She says, I do not know and I have nothing more to say to the court over and over again. Like, so they ask where the children, they ask where the children are. They ask how Sandra contacts them. How did the news contact them? Remember, because last week I ended on they disappeared. Then they showed up a couple days later for a news interview and then they disappeared again. So like somebody drove them to this news interview. Right? Yeah, and it was it was conducted at like a hotel or something, right? Yeah. And the evidence that they have that they're kind of basing that Sandra is with these teenagers is that they sent in some documents of like statements for the court and all of their statements were together in the same envelope. Mm-hmm. And it was dated the day, um, the day that they disappeared, the day that they went missing. So everyone was like, well, if they were sent in the same envelope, like he must be together. They must all be together. Yeah. Right. That's Sandra's favorite line is I do not know. And I have nothing more to say to the court. And I what was her favorite line last week. It was like, not I, that I know of. It was so, some similarly. It was like, I couldn't say or yes, something. I couldn't say that's what it was. Yeah. So she's got a few catchphrases, but um, on a 2020 like Dateline episode about the case, which originally aired in 2016 called Footprints in the Snow, Sandra is interviewed by a reporter who asked her the same question. She asked what she did when she realized the children were missing. And Sandra states that she had a court order that told her not to contact the police should anything happen to her children. Mm. Um, this is later further investigated in, in the episode and determined to be completely false. I'm and like, that, I have never heard, right? Yeah. I don't do family law, but like, what? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. And you know what? If my kids go missing and I have an order that says, and I don't know where they are, and I have an order that says not to call the police if my kids go missing i'm still gonna call the phone yeah too bad hold me in contempt send me to jail yeah, i want someone really, to know like, give me a little ticket. yeah I, no fuck off my kids are at risk here so yeah so this was determined to be completely false in fact judge newtson ordered that sandra tell the police everything and anything she knows about her daughter's disappearance right that sounds that sounds more likely <laughs> right The court manuscript even states, I will allow your client to search for her two children and I will allow her to call whoever she needs to call in order to find her children. And once she finds them, she is to report to the police where they are immediately. Standard, common sense. Clearly the judge is like, wow, it's terrible that your kids are missing. But like, if you find anything out, you need to report that. Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a big ask, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So eventually, I literally read this book, and the whole time I was like, well, that's rich. Well, that's rich. Because, like, literally <laughs> the entire time, it was just like, are you kidding me? Anyway, so eventually, Sandra's attorney asked that the judge uh, be removed. Judge Newton is removed from the case because of his, quote-unquote, impartial bias against Sandra. And Judge Newton is like, LOL, no, I don't have an impartial bias against Sandra. Just because I'm not ruling this case the way that you want me to rule it doesn't mean that I have like a bias lens or whatever. Mm -hmm. Sandra Rocky's attorney, Michelle McDonald, insists that they're not going to proceed until Judge Newton stands down. And Judge Newton is like not having it. And he says, you'll either call your first witness or you'll default for today. Whoop. Like, that's your only options. I would never want to be a judge. That sounds like people just sound ridiculous. The stuff that they try to pull in court, I'm just like, I would never, no. 
Anyway, so Michelle McDonald calls Sandra to the stand first. According to this book, Sandra is perceived to be, quote, programmed and mechanical in her answer. She didn't show any emotion. And the book mentions, like, well, any mother that had not seen her children in months would have been emotional. But Sandra was not. Mm, okay. Well, I mean, there are a lot of crappy assumptions about the way pe- people, especially right. women, should or should not act in court in according with how emotional they should or should not act. But the whole time she was just saying, I do not know and I have nothing more to say to the court. That's the whole, <laughs> that is a little that is a little unhelpful, yes. Some evidence is brought into the court. And it's footage of Samantha being out of school disposing of records in her mother's car. So they're literally like throwing it out the window. Divorce documents, legal papers, they're throwing it out of the window of their car. Sandra's asked if hypothetically a parent d- on cross-examination Sandra is asked hypothetically if a parent does that, if they're trying, if they are proving to hold their daughter to their best interests. And Sandra repeatedly replies, I don't deal in hypotheticals. Um, McDonald continually shouts out objections without foundation. The judge quickly just like says overruled, 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 overruled like seven or eight times. When she became upset about how things were going, Michelle McDonald said she, quote, did not want to pretend trial and, quote, maybe if Miss Elliott, which is the prosecutor, Maybe Miss Elliot would be honest, end quote. So this is like a very nasty trial. There were like stalling tactics. There were these catty remarks and exchanges um, between like witnesses and the lawyers throughout the entire thing. This is messy. This is what this is what TV trials are like. Yes. <laughs> it was clear that like neither party thought the other was competent. Like, you know how like sometimes you'll have a prosecutor that's like, okay, this is a really good DA. Like I respect their work and like I respect them as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like this was clearly not the case. Like neither of them thought the other was competent is the vibe that I was getting. I'm not in law whatsoever and I even picked up that vibe. So Brad, anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> Miss Elliot, so David's attorney. Miss Elliot and David Rocky believe that Sanders' answers were peculiar. When Miss Elliot asked her, quote, would you facilitate the children's relationship and parenting, parenting time with their father? And quote, Sandra answers, yes, he's still a parent. She was then asked, and what do you think is appropriate parenting time for him? And Sandra replies, we would go back to how we originally had it. Well, the courts destroyed that chance. I can't say right this second. And then everyone in the courtroom was wondering why at that juncture, Sandra didn't mention like the abuse or how she was feeling unsafe with her husband when she was asked these questions, right? Like she wasn't bringing up how, well, I don't want my kids to have a relationship with him. He's an abusive father. He's put hands on that, you know. All this yeah. Stuff. What does she mean back to what they, what it was like before when they were married, when she guess, like made up the divorce with really like guess, unbalanced girl, I, terms? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Man, you can't control Z at this point. Tammy Love, who, if you remember from part one, is the GAL, the guardian ad litem, um, who is taking care of the children, is also called to the stand. She drops this bomb that Sandra spread rumors about her that weren't true. Whoa. Uh, Sandra, yeah, Sandra says Tammy's own children were taken away because she had a substance abuse problem and that she had abused her own children and that she wasn't fit to be the GAL for both of these reasons. Whoa. Um, none of... None of these had any police records. None of them had documentation. It was not true. Like, Tammy still had her children. Also, hopefully, if that were the case, she would not have gotten temporary custody of of the Rocky children. Yeah, what the fuck? Sandra's just being messy. I just... Girl, 
I'm literally on the first page of notes for this episode. <laughs> um, so Tammy Love is like the complete opposite on this on the stand um, than Sandra was. When she's asked what she has done in her efforts to help find the girls, she says she called police. She called the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. She created and posted missing posters online and in person, like typical things that you think a parent would do if their kid went missing. Mm-hmm. Um, she stated Sandra knew she she had done all this because she called her. Sandra called Tammy to tell her one of the birth dates for one of the girls was wrong. And Tammy was like, I, you know, Tammy apologizes for this to the court. Like, oh, I, I obviously if I had known her correct birthday, I would have put that. But it was a mistake. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And I'm like, you know, who would have gotten the birthday correct is their mom. If their if mom she had bothered to do all this. Posters. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, Tammy was asked, of course, about David as a parent. She says, quote, I've seen him interact with his children. They look at him like a normal child looks to a parent and he's kind, thoughtful and concerned and takes the best interests at heart as he's taking whatever action he's taking or doing the things that he's doing. Um, the psycholo- psychologist that was asked to interview all five children, Dr. Gilbertson, a noted psychologist in the field, was set, uh, said that only two of the children said that they were abused by their father, David. And when he was asked and impressed further, he said that Samantha was the only one that told stories of the abuse and that Gianna just agreed and said, like, yeah, that's how it happened. He says that that's kind of unusual. One of Samantha's testimony of being brutally, I think, spanked or hit by her father came apart when McDonald pointed out that this was allegedly during Samantha's 13th birthday. And that was when they had gone no contact in the middle of some divorce hearings. So therefore, it was like entirely impossible that David were there at this birthday because they had gone completely no contact. Mm-hmm. That was day one. Let me talk about day two because day two gets wild, y'all. Hey, everyone. It's Abby again. Just wanted to let you know about our newest sponsor, Axial Creations. Axial Creations creates handmade, unique, and personalized jewelry and accessories for everyone. Its designs are based on chainmail, which are little links that can make really cool designs. And I've actually gotten lots of compliments on the personalized um, necklace, choker necklace that I got um, from Axial Creations. So, um, Basically, if you want unique pieces of jewelry for a f- lovely price point that have been handmade with care, check out Axial Creations on Facebook or Etsy and place your order now. A special offer for Queers for Fears listeners, if you enter the promo code Queers for Fears, you'll receive 10% off your order at Axial Creations. So check it out and let us know what you think. She's looking at me like, you mean it wasn't already? (laughs) Okay. So Michelle uh, McDonald, which, you know, she's Sandra's attorney. She's ranting about how she thinks it was like very, it was kind of like unclear. It sounded like she was saying that the court reporter didn't take sufficient documentation and like missed something on the record. And then Michelle McDonald starts taking photos in the courtroom. Uh... Um, yeah. Yep. 
Um, and you can't do yeah you can't do that exactly like no um I read that and my eyeballs almost fell out of my head (laughs) I know that I who has only watched law and order from start to finish like (laughs) that is my law degree you can't take fucking pictures in court anyway things get started and she's like oh I need a 2011 calendar in front of me we're talking about 2011 and I don't know the date so Judge Newsom he issues a recess for 15 minutes and during this recess she's arrested for contempt of court because yes because she's not cooperating with the police that are in the courtroom right the police are like listen if you just give us your full name your address your date of birth we can issue you a citation and you can just go back into the courtroom and go back to what you're doing but we do have to give you a ticket for contempt of court this is the attorney yeah to the attorney Mm -hmm. can you imagine day two of your trial and your lawyer gets arrested arrested? for something as blatantly wrong as taking photos after starting beef with the court reporter of all people i just i would be like I don't know. This whole time I was reading this and I was like, I did not pay out the ass for law school. And even I know that's illegal. (laughs) I know you can't do that. I could have told you that for free. The break is almost over and Michelle McDonald returns to the courtroom in a wheelchair being pushed by someone. And nobody's really quite sure what happened. They say she looks unwell. She doesn't have her glasses. She doesn't have her shoes. Um, She's refusing being ticketed for contempt of court. And the deputy is like, we didn't arrest her. We just needed her to come with us and give us some information, like her address, her date of birth, so we could give her the citation. And she refused, so we had to... She's she's back here now, but she wouldn't give us the information, so she's still technically, like, under arrest. So, anyway... <clears throat> shoes go? By the way, I should tell you that when Michelle McDonald comes back, Sandra is gone, and so is all of their paperwork, all of their notes, all of their evidence, all of their documentation, Sandra and Didi Ebevold are gone. What? No shoes, no glasses, no client? Yeah. Yep. This woman is having a day. So Judge Knudsen asks Michelle McDonald, he's like, <laughs> Judge Knudsen is like, why did I even get up this morning? <laughs> Please tell me, counsel, because I am not seeing the point in any of this. So yeah, so Judge Newton asked Michelle McDonald like how she wishes to proceed since the <laughs> he's like, there's like some rule, do do there's like some rule in some subsection somewhere that says like she can technically still proceed without her client being there and it's perfectly mm-hmm. legal under Minnesota law. But each time Judge Newton asks, she just doesn't respond. <laughs> She just is silent. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I would be in there and I would just be like whispering to the people around me, like, what is happening? What is Is happening? Supposed to happen? Is this normal? Yeah. And finally, Judge Newton says, Ms. McDonald, do you have an obligation to your client? Do you want to participate in these proceedings and proceed? Do you want to remain seated in the courtroom or would you like to go to the with the deputies? Yeah, the judge is like, the ARDC is going to hear about this, yeah. you know, dog and pony show you were pulling rather than keeping your client's best interest at heart. And she doesn't respond. 
She still doesn't respond. The judge decides that he's like, well, we're going to continue, I guess, because you're not responding and I don't know what else to fucking do. We're not sure at this point. We're like, okay, so maybe she's engaging in some sort of weird civil disobedience because she wants Judge Newton to remove himself from the case. Okay. Because like her argument for that was like, since since he had settled the divorce, it didn't seem fair that he would also settle the custody battle. But that makes more sense to me that he's on the same... Because I guess in the family court in Minnesota, the judges rotated like almost daily Mm -hmm. to remain fair. But this one was like a really weird um, situation. And I think David's defense attorney might have petitioned that they kept the same judge just because it was kind of a complicated, convoluted case. The author of the book is like, but then... Since Sandra and Dee Ebervold were gone and packed up so quickly and concisely, this strange turn of events maybe wasn't so strange after all. Maybe it was planned. The question of why McDonald was in a wheelchair remained, however, but the judge continued without an investigation as to why the sudden change happened. The case would move on regardless of the strange occurrence. And then something weirder happens. Do we find her shoes? I will tell you when we find the shoes. Just, just, just. <gasps> okay. A previous guardian ad litem. So they had they had several guardian ad litems in this uh, trial. So her name was Julie Friedrich. And she testifies that Sandra left her a voicemail saying that she wanted David to have full custody of all five children. What? And yeah. And McDonald does not object to this testimony at all. And Judge Newton is like, okay, but like for real, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> McDonald, like you went from saying objections a lot and like interrupting to like not saying anything at all and just completely letting this all unfold yeah Yeah. he presses on a bit further about what's happened and michelle mcdonald finally speaks for the first time since recess ended she says that she had nothing to do with her client and paperwork walking away a deputy in the courtroom politely interjects that she simply did not comply with their demands for contempt of court and they had to wheel her into the courtroom because she had refused to return whoa So she's in a wheelchair because she was making, and she lost her glasses and her shoes because she had made such a fuss. (laughs) She didn't want to go back to court. Yeah. Had to like, oh man. Okay. So at this point, David is finally asked to go on the stand. He's asked questions about parenting. He jokes that most of the times, like living with a family of five, he felt more like a bus service than a dad. Right, because he's driving kids to like dance and sports and like all their activities, and And he's like, he was like, yeah, it was pretty chaotic, but I kind of liked the energy that like came with the chaos. I mean, it does take two to make five, so good. (laughs) You could have wrapped it up if you did not want from Queers for Fears podcast. (laughs) So David had by this point been accused of physical, verbal, emotional, and sexual abuse of his children. Now it was his chance to go on record and respond to these allegations. And he confesses that he's only reached like a level of parental frustration in which he raises his voice and says things that he didn't mean and couldn't take back. And he was like, you know, like all parents have done that. I don't feel like that should make me lose custody of my kids. There are voicemails of him yelling and swearing and shouting at his kids. Like we said in part one, like he definitely, I would say, had a temper. Not winning father of the year. Yeah. And had and said some things he, you know, probably shouldn't have said, but there wasn't really any evidence of physical abuse in this case. David says he's asked why he feels that he should have like full custody of his of all of his children. And David responds, I think that I should be the parent. 
You know, I'm the only one that can offer them stability and give them any shot. You know, that's where I, that's where it should be. I do believe again, back to, you know, she is their mother, but she's not capable of dealing with reality. It seems. And he Mm -hmm. says, when asked if Sandra would put their children into harm's way, David responds, I don't think she's stable. I just, you know, I have a real fear of her myself. They have no regard for law or what's in the best interest of these children. They use them as pawns. I think they refers to Sandra and her attorney. They're clearly using these two girls, Gianna and Samantha, and whipping them up for her own personal whatever it is she thinks she needs. They cannot be around her right now until we figure out what's going on with her. So throughout all the other testimonies, um, one really rang true and like hit home. Like all the psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, and evaluators believe that David was a good father and that he should have custody of his children. And that Sandra was somehow involved in the disappearance of Sammy and Gianna. The GAL's lawyer, Ms. Miles, also testifies that Nico, which if you remember is one of their sons, is doing really well right now. He has a job. He's doing well in school. He's singing in choir. He doesn't want to be around Sandra at all. He says he's tired of her causing drama. Ms. Miles also testifies David seems like a normal father. And uh, she says that the other two children, Gino, which is their other son, And then Nia, their other daughter, are also thriving at the moment as well. The next day, Judge Knudsen awards David Rocky full custody of all five children, citing that, quote, the court has no evidence that Sandra is capable in providing a stable home environment for the children. In fact, Sandra's conduct and the testimony during the trial evidence the exact opposite end quote yeah I yeah know. i was like oh not looking good for you sandra g so david's like relieved he's like well now i can focus on locating my missing girls and they've been missing for almost two years by the time this ruling what has. yeah by the time this ruling has come down they have been missing for nearly two years and he's conducting his own search like in the tw- in the Dateline episode, he says that he's just been like driving around the neighborhood like a like a mad person, just like looking to see if he like sees them, going to places that they usually spent time. Nobody's gotten like a warrant for Sandra's house, or so David brings up Dee Dee Ebbefold, Sandra's friend. The police, the local authorities, agree that she'll be placed under some sur- surveillance to see if she's had anything to do with the girl's disappearance. Okay, there we go. Yeah. This one, this next section is Enter Dale Nathan. Every single time she introduces a new, I'm like, it's, there's so many people in this case. And I, (laughs) and they're all so messy. I know. I feel like I need to draw one of those like crazy Game of Thrones trees to like keep track of all the characters. It's like Um, a dramatis persona. I like at the beginning of a Shakespeare play. (laughs) So wait, who's this? Who's this nutsack again? Dale Nathan. Dale Nathan. So he's got two first names, which means you can't trust him. Anyway, at first I was like Dennis. No, she literally (laughs) just said it. What's this guy's name? (laughs) It literally fell out of my brain because I don't have any more room for these characters with two first names. So this man, Dale Nathan, came up in multiple sources. He came up in the book that I read. Right, the girls are gone. And he came up in the Dateline episode. Two years after the Rocky girls had disappeared, Nathan approaches the author in front of his home where his kids are playing outside. Um, The author's name is Michael Broadcorb. He approaches him and he says, quote, I'm Dale Nathan. I have CDs with audio from the Rocky girls and I need you to listen to these CDs. Um? I know. Michael Broadcorb gets into his car and the first thing he says is never come to my home ever again. Yeah. Like, 
Mm -mm. The reason why Broadcorp knows this guy is that he read an article in the newspaper that Nathan had claimed to have been with Sandra Rucky the night of Sammy and Gianna's disappearance. Oh. And the article also said that Dale had not cooperated with local law enforcement about their disappearance. Um, But now he had seemingly showed up to Michael's house ready to talk. And Michael was like, well, I got to keep this guy talking like he knows something and I need to know. Mm -hmm. And now he knows where I live. This is going Mm -hmm. just fucking swimmingly for me. Dale Nathan was a former lawyer. I believe he was like in his 80s at this point. Um, But he was a former lawyer whose license had been revoked when he was given an ultimatum to give up his client's location or lose his license. And he specifically worked with women women in divorce and custody battles, particularly those who had reported um, abuse. He's a very big proponent of Sandra Rucky, or Sandra Grazzini, rather, and women in her situation. So he always believes the woman in these cases that says abuse is involved and that agrees with him that the family courts are corrupt. So he did not give up uh, information about where his client was staying. She was defying the law, I believe, by like staying somewhere else she wasn't supposed to stay and he did not give up that information he lost his license instead so that's that's dale nathan dale claims that he got these cds he got these recordings at his nursing home in an envelope with no return address and no postage had sandra dropped these off to dale to prove her girls were still alive and well and if so why what i'm like hanging on to my butt here what the fuck is going on well that's where we're stopping what (laughs) (laughs) for today i did not i did not set that one up for her i genuinely did not know i thought she was going to explain this motherfucker and she's Uh, like no no (laughs) if you want to send us an angry email about how i keep making these cliffhangers happen you can send us an email at bitch ass at bitch ass.com no podcast queers for fears at gmail.com yep if you we are on Facebook. Still laughing at bitch ass at bitch ass. That's where you're. That's your email address, ma'am. <laughs> um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. Queers for Fears podcast, and I am on Twitter. If you want to commiserate about these bitch ass at bitch ass dot com cliffhangers, <laughs> Queers Fears pod. But they're so good, aren't you enthralled? Don't you want to find out what happens next? I am, but at the same time, every time I hear about these people, I want to take a nap after because they sound <laughs> exhausting. Well, luckily it's 9.08 p.m. and you can do that if you really <laughs> No, I have to edit this episode immediately. Oh, yeah, that's true. Let's never do this again. I don't know whose idea this was. This was, um, it was our- my idea. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, thanks. It was because, I mean, I'll say it. It was because my weekend was so busy that we could not figure out, we could not coordinate a weekend recording date. So we Yeah, had- I was on the road Saturday, and then yeah. Sunday, Abby had stuff going on, and then we both had really busy days today. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you stay queer. And we hope you don't hate us so much that you don't come back for part three when Abby finally tells us what the fuck is going on with these people. Mwahaha. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Toodles. Bye. Bye.